Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving you a tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- or 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. And uh, you can give us a call and we can talk about the ups and downs and all around of your annuals, your bulbs, your edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but always please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take. Greg will be answering the phone, so all I have to do is give him your first name and where you're calling from, and uh, he's producing. So if he was not there, I would not be here as well. You Or you wouldn't be hearing me. I mean, I could be here. But uh, during the week, I do, and on the weekend, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And today, I'm headed out to Dardine Prairie after the Garden Hotline for a walk and talk. So if you'd like to have me come to your home or give a gift certificate to someone, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's an email and a phone number, and you can contact me, and we can set up a time for us to get together. And a special recognition, that's the tip of the trial, for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, you feel like partying? Well, there's nothing more fun than partying with somebody that's really a little bit older. Well, on Monday, July 24th, you can celebrate Henry Shaw's 217th birthday. It's extremely important. Long time ago, he set up this whole thing. He made all his money as all the people were migrating to the West. He had a hardware business. And then he started the Botanical Garden. He started Tower Grove Park, which was, I mean, the guy was unbelievable. He had a huge you know, home downtown that actually they had brought out to the Botanical Garden. So, to, like I said, Monday, the 24th, you can come and celebrate Henry Shaw's birthday 217 absolutely amazing it'll be free admission for all you party animals like i said nothing can be more fun than partying with somebody that's 217 years old so it's just it's going to be great there's all sorts of other stuff going on as well second tip of the trial goes out to snooks the snooks i walk down to several days a week at gravoy and hampton on wednesday they had free bottled water when you came into the door because it was so intense and was so hot. No, it was, wasn't Wednesday. It was Thursday. Sorry. Oop. Anyway, but, uh, th- you know, tip of the trial goes out to Snooks for giving away free bottled water to everybody that came in. And then the final tip of the trial today goes to one of my favorite homes. It's in my neighborhood. I walk by it every about every three or four days or so. It's at the corner of Federer and Morganford. 
this gentleman has made this landscape. Before it used to be kind of cool. It was tropical. They had a couple of golden retrievers and other things. I haven't seen the dogs lately, but that doesn't matter. But he's going you know, be of, above and beyond. He's got all kinds of banana trees. He's got all kinds of elephant ears. He's got all kinds of you know, containerized plants. He's got sweet potato vines climbing onto the fence. It's just he's really adding a lot of stuff. So if you want to see a really cool house, go to Federer and Morgan Ford. You'll, you'll, you'll see the bananas on, you know, on the one side, on the cemetery side of his house. It's across the street from the cemetery. That's where his house is. And then on the opposite side, which would be on the, I guess, what would that be? The south side, he's got a whole new area around his air conditioning unit with all kinds of tropical plants as well. So he's doing a great job with it. So tip of the trial to his house and landscape. Henry Shaw of the Botanical Garden with the birthday party free admission on Monday, the 24th. And then Snooks for giving away free bottled water on Wednesday. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Just a reminder, folks, do not cut your lawn really close or short because that's just an invitation, especially when we've got weather like this for a weed invasion. And just understand you want the grass blades to be longer because they actually shade and keep the crown of the grass plant cooler, and it's just going to be to the advantage just in general. Also, remember, nutrients and moisture come up through the root system and lawn as well as with any other plant, and then the grass blades use sunlight to make that into food, and then it shares it with, but if the grass blades are short, then it's not making food, then the plants are going to get weaker, and then you're just inviting a circumstance where the lawn could decline. Shiloh, Illinois is where Bob lives. Bob, how are you today? I'm doing good. Great. I've got about three quarters of an acre of a yard, uh, 25 years old, the yard, uh, I've always planted uh, seeds uh, September and May every year mm-hmm. uh, to keep it thick. It's a six-blend fescue. Right. Oh, last five years ago, I've gotten some bad uh, Bermuda grass that strings out. I killed it off, and it's come back. It's come back in vengeance and in other areas. I cut my yard about four inches. And uh, is there anything out there that would keep that from coming back? And it's not if, but when. Is there any type of a roundup that will kill it off to the roots? Basically, what you need to do is probably go online and look for a Bermuda grass killer and, you know, use that specifically. There is a product, I don't know if it's going to be readily available or anything else, called Acclaim, A-C-C-L-A-I-M. And that's, you know, will kill and control Bermuda grass. But availability, pardon me? Spell that again. A-C-C-L-A-I-M. Okay. And so the, I don't know if it's going to be available to, you know, to the normal homeowner or anything else, but I know that's one of the products. But you can just go online and look for you know, Bermuda grass control and you know, take a look and see what you can find as far as using all-purpose herbicides like Roundup. That's great, but Bermuda grass is kind of in a class all in of itself. And that's why uh, herbicides specifically formulated to kill that or get rid of it, that's what you really need to do. At this time of year, would you recommend thatching it to help try to pull that off and cut and cut the, the long strings of Bermuda that's growing and spreading? Nah, you know, 
it's hard to dethatch just you know if you're talking about just going out with an individual you know let's say garden rake and raking those individual spots yes but definitely do not dethatch your whole lawn because you're going to expose root systems and you're going to expose all kinds of things by dethatching in your good grass and then that's going to send it potentially downhill okay so just watch about you know dethatching at all you know regular lawn or anything else because this is not the time of year to do it for any kind of grass, even warm season grasses like zoysia, let alone cool season grasses like fescues. Okay. Great. Good uh, luck. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And now let's go from Shiloh to South County. And Nancy, how are you today? I am good. And yourself? Very good. I have um, a couple questions here. Um, one thing when you were talking about the uh, watering that you do on Wednesdays and Saturdays, 30 to 45 minutes each station. Right. Is there a window of time of day to do that? You, wanna, you don't want to go in the afternoon to set in mold, but you want to do it like early morning if you're doing automatic water system? Well, I don't have automatic water system, but. Oh. So I just, I drag hoses and have sprinklers and stuff. I say okay. water when you can. The the let's say the least ideal time would be watering in the evening, which okay. way back when that's when everybody did because they thought it was cooler, this, that, and everything else. But you could really set up some fungus problems by getting your lawn really wet, regardless of what type it is. And then it has I mean, at nighttime, that's when the humidity yeah. go, is going up and everything else. But uh, you know, the heat of the day, it doesn't matter. Just get you know, make sure you're gonna get the everything watered. Okay. So my other question is the forsythia bush. Right. Is it what bush shrub? I don't know. But anyway, when is the best time to purchase and plant that if we want it in our yard? Uh, You know, it's going to be availability as much as anything. But the forsythia is, you know, yellow flowered early spring. And it's, I mean, it's sort of the classic spring flowering shrub. There are other things as well, quince and a few other things. But uh, garden centers may not have it in the fall. If they do have it, you can plant it in the fall. Fall okay. is the ideal time to plant pretty much anything because the ground is warm, and the warm ground really encourages root system growth. And then the plants get to go to sleep for wintertime through dormancy. The problem with okay. planting in the springtime is the ground is cold, the root systems just sit there, and then the plant material is facing summer, which is the most stressful season. Okay. The other question I have is I have a neighbor. Thank you for that answer. I have a neighbor who has a big, like, mound. I don't know what you call it. It's it's a decorative grass or fountain grass or whatever you want to call it. I, I can't even – it's like a ball, but I can't even put my arm around it. And I bet you it's five feet, maybe six feet tall, and it's green. Um, it, it will – and I can't remember if it was spring or fall. It will have a plume out, right. out the top of it. And I noticed, I think, is it, I don't remember but what time of year they do it, but they do, like, chop it down to ground, I don't know if it's ground level or if it's so many inches above. But I like it to the point where I was wondering if, can they give me, like, a plug, and do they take it from the center if they're to give me a plug, and when would I plant that? Basically, it sounds like it's a maiden grass. The center of maiden grasses, as they mature, virtually has no blades. So, in other words, okay. it's a clump grower, so all the new growth is going to be on the perimeter. So okay. if you would, have, when they cut it down, they're gonna you, they're gonna notice that there has been no grass coming up, no blades from the center of the plant okay. because they, I mean, it just migrates out from that point. So if they want to give you a division of it, they'd have to give you something on the perimeter. And probably with the ornamental grasses, you're better off to do that. You know, yeah, 
wait until at least September or so. But they're a little bit iffy. Here I just said, well, fall is by far the time, best time to plant. But ornamental grasses, it could be you know somewhat iffy with them. You might better, you might wait until early spring. They've already cut it down, and then when the new growth, new blades start coming up, they could give you a you know let's say a clump or okay. patch of it at that time. And if I'm putting it like up in a corner in my yard, which has a privacy fence, because that's going to get larger, I need to make sure I don't shove it back in the corner and keep it out a little bit for right. growth. Right. And also, they prefer to have you know full sun all day long every day. Okay, I got that covered. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you right. so much. Have a good weekend. Yep, you too. Bye. And it's probably a maiden grass. There are several varieties of maiden grass. Now, this could be done if you want to, but, I mean, they're not all that expensive. You go to your favorite garden center and get them there because there's some that have stripes on the leaves, they horizontal stripes, vertical stripes. So there's other, you know, other than just what the plant that you're actually seeing. And now let's go to O'Fallon in into Bonnie's yard. Hi, Bonnie. Hi. Go ahead. Oh, I have a hydrangea plant. Mm-hmm. It's about two years old, and it bloomed last year. It bloomed all spring and all summer, and this year there's no buds on it at all. Basically, the plant, when you bought it, had been, let's say, given steroids, and that's why it was blooming so good and worked so good and everything else. You haven't pruned it, I'm assuming. You've just left it alone and everything else. Yeah. It, it takes a little while for it to acclimate. To the new location. So in other words, it came out of a nursery where everything was ideal. It was like heaven, an oasis or whatever. Garden of Eden is where it was growing. Not to say your yard is not typically a Garden of Eden, but it's really probably not. So it may take it a couple years to get the root system established and everything else before you're going to get that kind of sequence of flowering you know, ever again. Let's say it might take one or two years. Also make sure that you're doing some fertilizing on it. And uh, other than that, that's about all you can do is just be patient. Okay. Uh, we also have um, peonies, mm-hmm. and they had buds on them, and they were, they turned black, and they never opened up. Yeah. That's, that's a fungus. You're going to have to, next year, when the leaves cut all, you know, you can virtually, as soon as the leaves start turning, let's say discoloring, cut them off and get rid of them. Don't let them just flop down onto the ground, or don't cut them and let them fall onto the ground, because you can inoculate the stuff, you know, the leaves coming up next year. Get rid of all this year's stuff. As soon as the leaves start coming up out of the ground, watch it. And, you know, when they're about six inches high, start applying a fungicide. Go to your favorite garden center and tell them you've got this fungus on your peonies. They'll tell you which, you know, fungicide to use. You're going to have to probably apply it three different or four different times at a two-week interval to get rid of this. Oh, okay. And, And I also have marigolds. They have no buds on them either. Wow. You have a very strange yard. <laughs> they all did good fine last year. Yeah. It's, I mean, the heat, you know, the heat is, it's been uh, traumatic on a lot of plants. But if your marigolds haven't flowered, you know, that's really kind of surprising because they're tough. They like the heat. They like pretty much everything that's going on. So as long as the leaves look good and everything else, all you can do is just keep watering them and fertilizing them and hope that you're going to get some flowers. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. Sure. Good luck with that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed to St. Louis. What a coincidence. And going into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. 
Hey, Joe, are you there? I'm here. Okay, okay go, go ahead. ahead. Hey, uh, I'm in South City. I've got a purple plum tree that's been losing its leaves for about the last month. I'm about 50% uh, leaves on it now, but it's, it's evenly distributed loss. Uh, is this something I can do? Nope. nope. Basically, it okay? it's weather-related, weather. and there's nothing you can do. But it's okay. Yeah, it should be. As long as you're, you know, like you said, it's consistent. Several different trees with this hot weather are dropping leaves. Trees that normally don't do it this time of year. River birch always do it this time of year, but there's other trees that are doing it, and your tree just happens to be one. Okay, and one other question. I know you keep saying don't cut your grass too low, but I've got zoysia. I'm in South City, uh, not far from you. Uh-huh. you know, uh, how high should that be cut? Well, I'm cutting mine at four and a half inches. And is that four and a half from the ground yes. to the crown? Right. Okay. So in other words, my mower blade, they have those adjustments. I have mine at four and a half. Four and a half from the bottom of the wheel to the blade or from the ground to the crown? Uh, basically, not from the blade to the crown. So it's, but the crown is right at the ground level. So yeah, you're right. Okay. And if I do dethatch with a scarifier, when's the right time of year to do that? For your zoysia, you're going to do it in the springtime right as it starts greening up. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's jump from city of St. Louis out to West County into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm calling. Um, we wanted to redo our front landscaping and it's, um, Right now, we have uh, yews and ivy that's been in for 40 years, and we wanted to get something that would be low-maintenance. What would you suggest? Well, yews uh, and low ma- and ivy. <laughs> no. But, you know, it's just it's difficult without knowing the setting or anything else. It's, you know, it's just hard. But I would, you know, what I discourage people from doing is planting any kind of tree too close to the house. And if you're going to use shrubs... You know, and you want something evergreen, something that doesn't necessarily have to be pruned. Look at some of the, you know, genetically smaller growing like globe arborvitae or something along that line. They're going to stay small. The Hetzi variety is going to be more of a dwarf type. So, you know, doing something that doesn't create a situation where you're going to have more and more maintenance as time goes on. But, I mean, is that the only plant that, that you would suggest? Well, I, you know... On air, it's just without seeing your house or anything else, it's just difficult for me to make you know some sort of plant recommendation. It's just you know it all depends on what you want. Boxwood work very well, you know, but boxwood get the microphylla, which is going to be the smaller leaf boxwood if you want an evergreen. If you again, the most important thing is don't put stuff too close to your house. Leave access you know to the back of it, so they can get in. Somebody can look at your foundation. They can clean your windows and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is in front of a porch, so okay. it's away from the house. Okay, so then, you know, boxwood, you could use globe arborvitae. You could use, if you want a flowering shrub, just go with something that's going to be a little bit smaller, unless it's a porch in the, fr- is it in the front? Yes, it's okay. in the front. So you don't want anything that's going to get too large. So there's a, a shrub called potentilla, which is yellow flowering. Maybe you don't want any shrubs at all. Maybe you should just use perennials. Like the sunflower family, something that's completely different from what you've had for a long time. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know that we want to go with all flowers. Right. We probably want something green. See, that's, you know, that's why without seeing and talking to you, it's, you know, it's just difficult to kind of go to your favorite garden center and just ask them for their suggestions. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Sure. 
yeah, it's not that I don't want to do it. It's just it's without meeting, you know, and talking with people. Rita from Illinois. Rita, how are you today? Oh, hi. Uh, nice to talk with you. I have uh, a solution for the Japanese beetle. Okay. And it's just that you take a can of, that you use some item out like peaches or uh, cranberries or something, you know, a can, and you wash it out. And then you put water in it and dishwashing liquid, and you go out there and knock the Japanese beetles into that can. Sure, that works. It does. It, and uh, it's, not, it's not hard. It doesn't take that long. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be patient, though. But, no, I agree. You can drown them that way very easily and kill oh, them. Oh, yeah. I have, I have it one year. I got over 200 that way. Wow. Yeah. So you even kept count. Yes. I, I, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what else can you do while you're throwing Japanese beetles. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. But yeah, I mean, that works very well. And like I said, the traps also work. It's going to trap not the females, but it's going to trap the males. And then you keep your population down. buzzing all over the place. Yeah. I tried that. Oh, did you? I think I brought in my neighbors. (laughs) Japanese beetles. So I think the water with the soapy, Uh the dish soap in a can. And just knock them in there. You can put your garden gloves on so you don't have to touch them or you don't have to. But And just put them in there, and, and uh, that's the end of that one. Great. Well, thanks, Rita. You're welcome. Thank you for your show. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for having me on your show. And, I mean, those are little comments you know, that certainly work. You know, I've, th- I've heard of it and I've done it or whatever just out of curiosity. But uh, sometimes, I, you know, as time goes on and as I get old, I forget about certain things. So thanks for the reminder. Irene from Webster Groves, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. Thanks for all your good information. I have one little question. The wild vine that climbs on all the shrubs and fences, what is it called? It, well, there are several different ones that do that. Now, are you talking about the euonymus? No. No, not that. No, it's, it's, a, it's just a green, thin leaf, but it climbs on the fence and it climbs on all my shrubs. It's not hard to get rid of, but it just encircles everything. So now, it's, what color flower does this have? It doesn't have any flower. Hmm. That's. Do you have a camera or something you can take a picture and send me a you know a picture of it? I can do that. Okay, you can do that. Or what you can do is just take some to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it. But a thin leaf, you know, your description is a little bit tough to kind of figure out. Is it evergreen, or just does it go away in the winter time? It goes away in the wintertime. Yeah. So my guess is still going to be it's bindweed. Just it doesn't have a lot of root. You can pull it off very easily, but it just climbs on on everything. Yeah, well, go on, go online and look at bindweed, B-I-N-D-W-E-E-D. Okay. And just check that out. Okay. Thanks, for, thanks so much. Sure. And, you know, a lot of times it will have flowers on it, but sometimes it just grows and doesn't actually produce any kind of flowers. Let's go now to Jerry, and Jerry lives in Cuba, Missouri. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, Mike, in sometime in the next few months, we are going to be um, demolishing a house and building a new one. And on this property, we had spent about seven years ago quite a bit of money on landscaping. And what I'm wondering is how much of, like, our ornamental grasses, crepe myrtles, knockout roses, uh, some different shrubs, um, hostas, and ground cover, can we try to transplant to save 
these plants, or are we wasting our time and money trying to do it? Well, you're not wasting time or money, but it is going to be a lot of work. If you're paying somebody else to do it, that's a little bit different. But if you're trying to do it yourself, virtually get the area where you're going to move them to already. So I would say the best thing to do is, depending upon the size of the shrub, go to your favorite garden center and get some black plastic nursery pots. Dig these things up and put them in pots. Don't dig them up and put them in the ground someplace else. By putting them in a pot and then dig, you know, the area where you're going to hold everything, you want to dig a hole for each pot. You're going to drop the pot down in the hole and just leave about two inches or so of the top of the pot above the surrounding ground. That way it's going to be much easier to keep them watered, much easier for everything else, and that's going to make it much easier when it's time for your new home has been finished and you want to do some landscaping. It's going to be much easier to do that rather than having these plants transplanted into the ground. Then you'd have to dig them up there and then move them into the new location. So basically you're going to be based uh, kind of like a production nursery. You're going to uh-huh. grow them in pots until, you know, you can move them to the new location around your new home. Now, even the crepe myrtles that are, say, uh, four feet tall, yeah, you can do I, that with? Yeah, just basically go out, of, you know, several inches beyond, as, let's say, don't you don't need to go extravagant amounts of distance. But, uh, you know, a four-foot-high crepe myrtle, if you made the root ball, let's say, hmm, 15 inches, maybe 18 inches at the most, that would be more than adequate. Okay. Now, what about a Japanese maple tree that's about six feet tall? It, uh, would that survive? Uh, it's going to be iffy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So okay. you can try it and see what happens. But uh, And the hostas and ground cover, what about those? Is there any problem with that, just transplanting that? Into the ground and then moving them back? I would right. say, I would, if you can, put everything in pots as, you know, as possible. Okay. Okay. The ground cover, unless it's something you really specifically like, I might mm-hmm. blow that off. But hostas or anything that has let's say, any kind of true, let's say, aesthetic value, I would mm-hmm. I would put them in pots. I wouldn't plant. I would not plant them into the ground and then have to dig them up again because you're traumatizing them the first time when you're digging them up, putting them in the, the let's say the garden space where you're going to store them. Then you're going to traumatize them again because your house is not going to be built all that soon. It may be one full growing year before you're going to be able to plant them in in the new you know around your new home. Right. Okay. And put them in potting soil. Yeah, potting soil. Right. Right, okay. Well, I appreciate the info, Mike. Yeah. Potting soil with a blend, you know, probably potting mix would be the better rather than potting soil, but, uh, you know, a mix would be fine. So Mike Miller, KMYX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, we got about 10 minutes or so, and if you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. At 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Adam Bold. 11 o'clock, KMOX Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. So the lady that had mold on her interior walls, that's who you want to call at 11 o'clock, Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the business of family business with Ryan Recker. And then at 2.10, Ameren Pregame Show with Tom Ackerman. So all kinds of crazy, interesting stuff coming up. Mick lives in Glen Carbon. Hi, Mick. Hi, Mike. Hey, I've got a good one for you here. I've got four San uh, Pedro cactus. Uh, they range 
in size from three feet. Uh, I have two that are over six foot, and they have begun blooming. And last year was was actually the first time in fifteen years the largest one had bloomed. Mm-hmm. Now this year, all but one of them are, are going. I, I just came in and counted eighteen uh, eighteen buds. Three of them are open. Do they have to cross pollinate? To bloom like that? Oh, no. Cross-pollination has nothing to do with actually setting flower buds and actually blooming. The cross-pollination would mean, they, you know, if they have to be cross-pollinated, that would be so they could produce, you know, fertile seeds that the seeds would drop and then germinate, you know, in the ground. I see, and that's not likely to happen. Even even if those are, are they're all fairly close. They're within, like, three feet of each other. Right. They're, they're, I mean, they, that's not to say pollen couldn't blow you know, between them, but it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the flower buds for next year. Okay. It just, I, I was so surprised last year. I said I'd, I'd had this one for 15 years. Right. Before, and now this year, uh, three out of four are going. Okay, well, that's good to know. I wanted to ask you, too, about my mimosa tree. Sure. It's about 10 years old. Uh, actually, you really helped me out with this when I got it. Uh, it's a huge tree now. Uh, it bloomed. The canopy was full. All the flowers have have gone. They've they've fallen off. And I see these other trees around me here in Glen that uh, that are still in full flower. Any any idea why mine's not holding on to those? I I mean, it's, as long as it looks healthy, leaves look healthy, and everything else, it's just a matter of exposure or anything else. When I walk, I walk under some um, mimosa trees. I've started to see some of them have dropped a lot more flowers than some of the other ones, so it's exposure as much as anything. Okay, just location. Should I fertilize that this this fall? No, you don't need to. What you can do, though, is just start, you know, augering some holes and backfilling those holes, you know, let's say halfway out from the trunk to the end of the branches. Backfill those holes with compost. That's all you really need to do. Okay, I got you. All right. Thank you, bud. Sure. And now let's go to Columbia, Illinois, into Matchyard. Hi, Matt. Hi, how you doing? Good. I was calling in, Mike, to ask you a few questions. I have a new lawn uh, just planted last September. Okay. And, um, you know, the heat is having a little effect on it. It's going to be survival of the fittest throughout right. this summer. And I wanted to discuss uh, aerating, overseeding, and top dressing potentially this fall. Right. Um, what... what what the best order to do that is and just get some advice from you. I'd probably, what I would do is I'm assuming this is a cool season lawn. So fescue or bluegrass, I would correlate top dress and then I'd put the seed down. Okay. So seed after you put the top dressing, right? Cause you don't want to get it you know, buried too deep or anything. You want the seed, you know, and then right after you put the seed down, then water it so you can get it in good contact with the soil. And then you could use a seed starter fertilizer if you'd like. All right, that sounds very good. And then another quick question. I put some landscaping in, and I've got some Pocomo crepe myrtles and Mm -hmm. some cherry laurels. I've had some, like, bugs or something, maybe nibbling on those a little bit. I've sprayed them with some neem oil. Right. Um, Do you have any other suggestions? Just apply that every couple weeks or every week? Yeah, I would say look and find the bugs before you bother spray. But, you know, okay. because you got to con- have contact directly on the insects. If you don't see the insects, then don't bother spraying. Okay. 
All right. Well, that's good information. I appreciate you taking my call. Yeah, sure. And uh, cherry laurel, it's a little bit marginal, so it may have a rough time, but uh, crepe myrtle will do great. Now let's go from Columbia out to West County and into Virginia's yard. Hi, Virginia. I have a had a problem a couple two weeks ago. <clears throat> excuse me. A deer got into my enclosed courtyard Ooh. and completely stripped two knockout roses in pots. Um, here tonight, gone tomorrow. Anyway, I'm trying to figure out. There's no sign of any new buds coming. Any play, new growth? Have they done it? For, <laughs> have they done me wrong for this year, or what? Can I fertilize and maybe bring some buds back? Uh, yeah, go ahead and fertilize it with rose food. And so, and keep them watered, you know, just like with any containerized plants, you should use rose food and do it every two weeks. But uh, you should still have a series of buds. You think I will get some growth again? Yes, you should. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen. One day or one night, it was beautiful, and the next morning... They hit it, or whoever had gotten in there just completely stripped it. Wow. Okay, well, thank you. I'll try the rose food. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and for anybody, you know, one of the things you need to be looking at for in your yard, the warm season annual grasses, that's going to include goose grass, barnyard grass, crabgrass. It's going to include lamb's quarter, knotweed, purslane, ragweed. Ragweed is, you know, a vicious one. It, you know, there's two different types Spurges, spurge grows very flat on the ground. So this is the type of weed that is prolific this time of year. And then consequently, that's the type of weed where and when the forsythia is in bloom, that's when you're going to be putting the pre-emergent down. So this is the warm season grasses. They germinate in the early, let's say late, mid-April or whatever, depending upon the weather. And then they go all the way through you know, early September, maybe even early October, weather-dependent. So those are the ones that are pre-emergent. So that's the warm season annual grasses. Now let's go to Jennifer, and Jennifer's in St. Louis. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Uh, I live in a house, with a quarter house, so I have a lot of landscaping all the way around the house. Mm -hmm. And as I age, it's getting more difficult to pour the mulch and put the mulch in every spring. I'm wondering if you could discuss for me quickly the... Your pros and cons of putting rock in as opposed to the mulch. And there, thank you. Yeah, yeah sure. There's basically just understand that if you're going to put rock in, you should probably put landscape fabric in on you know on top of the ground before you put the rock. Your rock, depending upon what type you want, it should be at least a couple inches deep. You know, one to two inches deep, so you don't have to worry about exposing, let's say, the landscape fabric or anything else. And it's just. The plants that you have there, understand there's a lot of heat generated by the rock, but it's not all that detrimental for your plant material as long as it's pretty tough, durable plants. And now let's go to John in Defiance. John, can you do it kind of quick? Yes, that's nice. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, and put some grading in the yard and clearing and um, have some clay with rock. And was wanting to put sod down. Uh, was going to... Wanted to get your opinion about bringing in some topsoil compost and spreading it out over the area before we put down sod. Yes, definitely do that, but don't just lay it on top of the existing soil. Mix it in with the existing soil. And if you're putting a cool season sod down, so like fescues or bluegrasses, this is really a difficult time to keep it doing, you know, going well and anything else. If you're doing well, bluegrass or fescue, cool season, I would say get the ground ready, get everything ready, and then I would wait until, you know, probably 
mid to late August before I'd put the sod down. Well, we were going to try to do the grading and getting the stuff prepped right now and then probably do it like September. That's when, perfect. When the temperatures are cooler. That's absolutely perfect. So it'd be okay to put topsoil, mix in some compost, kind of mix it all up, and then set the sod down. Exactly. That's exact. You're doing everything exactly as it should be done. Okay. Thank you for, for answering our question. Sure. And thanks for having me on your show. And for everybody, I'm going to go back to the watering thing. Water for longer periods of time, less often. 15 or 20 minutes doesn't do anything at all for your plant material. So you got to water for extended periods of time. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.